Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1 is where we're going to start. And some of you who have been part of this series are like, oh man, we're going backwards. Um, But we want to begin in verse number 1 of chapter 6 to kind of refresh our minds where the passage and where Jesus is in this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So it's important that we understand what Jesus is and is not saying. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus says, in order to be seen by them. So it's not as if public displays of righteousness or of worship, or of prayer, or of giving are wrong. What is wrong is doing so with the audience in mind, or with an audience in mind, or with spectators in mind, hoping that someone will see you and applaud you. Jesus says there, if that's what you're doing, the end of verse 1, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, you will get the reward that you were intending to get, which is the applause, the attention, the approval of people. So Jesus goes from there, that setting in verse 1, and he gives three different illustrations of what we would call righteousness or acts of righteousness. The first one he gives is in verse 2, down to verse number 4, and it is giving, the act of uh, generosity, the act of benevolence, the act of charity, uh, blessing someone financially who is in need. Jesus said if you're doing that uh, with an audience or your ego in mind, you're going to get your reward and it's going to be the applause of people, but your heavenly Father will not reward you for that. Then Jesus talks about prayer. And each of these times, Jesus will use the word hypocrites. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in verse 5, down to verse number 7 or 8, Jesus is talking about the act of prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites when they pray. They look for the most public place to pray. And you kind of can see the implied. They clear their throat, and they are trying to grab the attention of, of an audience so that people will be impressed with their prayer. Jesus said, that's not really prayer. That's just the speech that you're calling prayer. Jesus also says, don't be like um, the Gentiles who are are using lots of words or repetition, thinking that that is going to eventually wear God down or get God's attention. You don't have to pray like that. And then Jesus teaches how to pray. We know is the model prayer or the Lord's prayer. And then in verse number 16, Jesus returns to the third illustration or the third example of practicing your righteousness. 
So let's pick up there in verse number 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, the word fasting in the Greek literally means to not eat or abstain from food. So I, I've heard different people recently say, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting or I'm, I'm on this little fast diet or something like that. And um, that's not what the Bible is talking about here. And so we'll get into what fasting is in the scripture. But Jesus is talking about another public act of righteousness, a godly thing that has been hijacked by the hypocrites, that is being used as a religious show. Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. What they do is they look gloomy and they go so far as to disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, traditionally, and we know this from a note around the end of the first century, that the hypocrites or the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. We see some hints of that in Luke chapter 18 in a parable that Jesus tells a Pharisee prays and says, uh, I fast twice a week. So historically, we put that together, that these religious leaders would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And they did so because Moses, uh, the main, one of the main characters in the Old Testament, is said to have gone up to Mount Sinai to meet with God on the two times that he went up, he went up on a Monday and on a Thursday. And so what they did was they said, okay, we're going to go up on Mondays and we're going to fast on Monday and Thursday, kind of as a rigorous, the writer says, approach to God and his holiness. And so they would fast. They wouldn't eat on Mondays and Thursdays. Ironically, another commentator points out that Monday and Thursday were the most popular market days. So think about this. These guys have turned giving into a performance. Matter of fact, they're calling people's attention to their giving. They've turned prayer into a performance. They're looking to draw people's attention. So they're going to go into the market. They're going to pray loud and people are going to be, wow, look at that guy. Or they're going to race through the streets on the hour of prayer. Nothing wrong with going to the hour of prayer, but they're going to try to draw people's attention. Well, they also created ways to draw people's attention to themselves when they were fasting. That's a little bit more difficult. If you're giving, someone can see it. Like you can draw people's attention like, oh, sorry, I dropped my money. Hey, I just want you to see that I'm dropping this money into this poor person's hat or basket. And it would draw people's attention. Prayer, obviously you're speaking. Well, fasting was a little trickier for these guys to turn into a religious performance. And that's what hypocrites means. It means an actor. It means someone who wears a mask. They literally would disfigure, Jesus says here, their faces. So they would put on makeup to make themselves look more pale, and they would take ashes, typically 
when a person was repenting, you'll see it in the Old Testament, they repented in sackcloth and ashes, meaning they would put on a type of clothing and then they would pray in ashes. They would take those ashes and they would put it on their head. So when Monday and Thursday arrived, there were the Pharisees slumped over, makeup on, dragging around like, I am so hungry, but I love God. Now, if I did that, I could live off the fat of the land for several days, okay? So it wouldn't matter what I disfigured my face with. You'd just be like, he's hangry, but he'll be fine, okay? He's got about 40 days stored up there, okay? But these guys, they were making this a performance. Man, they are just like, oh, so hunger pains. I had a friend of mine, and he would be horrified that I'm telling you this story, but we were chatting one day about fasting, and he said, yeah, I felt like the Lord wanted me to learn more about fasting. So he said, in one year, I did all of the different fasts in the scripture. And he said, I was into my 40-day fast, and he goes, I started to feel awful. It was the last fast I was going to do, and he he said, just, I started to physically feel terrible to the point I went to the doctor. He said, I went to the doctor and he said, Josh, I thought I was dying. I go to the doctor and the doctor's concerned about me. I'm concerned about me. He runs some tests. He goes out. He, he thinks, man, am I dying? Like what's happened? Did I go too far? All of these different things. And my buddy told me, he said, the doctor came back in smirking. And he said, what's What's funny? He goes, congratulations, you're feeling your first hunger pain. Think about that. Well, these guys, they turned prayer, giving, and fasting into just part of their religious performance with makeup and posture and a woe-is-me attitude every Monday and Thursday. I'm going to be honest with you. These guys are exhausting. But just imagine dealing with these guys. Like, man, look, oh, he's got his makeup on today. Yep, it's Monday. Uh, don't worry if you missed it on Monday. There'll be a repeat performance on Thursday. And if you miss that one, it'll be next Monday and Thursday. It's exhausting. Oh, and by the way, every day, these guys are praying out loud so that people are drawn to them. They're given this money because they want people to see them. It's all a performance for them. And what Jesus does here is Jesus just pulls back the curtain and reveals the hypocrisy of these so-called religious leaders. Jesus says they do all of this, verse 16, that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What was their desired reward? Their desired reward was the applause of people. It boosted their ego. It made them feel good. It wasn't about really even impressing people it was about their own ego and their own pride. And so they took these sacred things in the scripture, prayer, giving, fasting, and they twisted them and used them for their own glorification, their own praise. Jesus says, don't be like that. The heavenly father has no interest in that. 
you will receive your reward and it will just be the applause and the approval of people. I was reading and D.A. Carson said this about acts of righteousness. He said, if our acts of righteousness are not primarily done secretly before him, meaning the Father, then secretly they may be done to please me. And what the word of God is doing here is it is addressing the motive, the intention of our hearts. Look at verse 17 there. Jesus says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Jesus said, don't don't be like the religious actors, the hypocrites, the Pharisees who are wearing this gloomy makeup. They're disfiguring their faces. I'm sure they're slinking along their posture. Woe is me, I'm so hungry. I might not make it through the day, but it's all to the glory of God. Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, when you fast, when you abstain from eating, When you abstain from food, Jesus literally says, anoint your head and wash your face. In our version, it would be, wake up, wash your face, do your hair, shave, brush your teeth, and go about your normal day. Now, I have thought about preaching in pajamas today and not doing my hair and being like, hey, I skipped breakfast, everybody. That's what they were doing. They were like, I just didn't even have the strength to get ready this morning. I just love God that much. I know I look terrible, but it's all to the glory of God. Jesus said, don't be like that. He says, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face for the purpose of, verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others. Now, is, it, is, is, is fasting, sometimes people get a little crazy about this and they're like, I can't tell anybody I'm fasting. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying the moment someone finds out you're fasting, God's like, well, that's it. I won't reward you now. That's not the point. But if you're like, I think I'm going to fast tomorrow to seek the Lord on some things. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put that on Facebook and ask for quote unquote prayers. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Like, you don't broadcast it. But if someone's like, hey, let's go to lunch real quick, and you're like, ah, I can't. Well, no, come on, let's go to lunch. And you're like, yeah, I'm fasting today. It's not like God's like, no credit, you fail. <laughs> you're out. No. Jesus is saying, wake up, get ready, go about your day with the intention that your fasting is a secret thing between you and your heavenly Father. Multiple times here we see the end of verse 18 repeated. Jesus said, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We saw that back in verse 4. Your Father who sees in secret. Verse number 6, we see the phrase there. Your Father who is in secret. So what is this? This is God knowing the intentions of our hearts. Now, what role does fasting play? Hold your spot in Matthew 6. Go forward to the right, to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew 
do a little bit more digging in this idea of fasting. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him. So that's John, who we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. His students, or his disciples as they're called here, come to Jesus. And they say to Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, or the groom, we would simply call it groom, is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So some of these other religious folks, particularly well-meaning well-intended followers of John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, they, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, just, we got, we got a concern. We fast and the Pharisees fast. We know they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They do their whole bit there. But we notice that your disciples do not fast. And Jesus paints this illustration. He said, listen, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Weddings are not a time for mourning, for the most part, right? (laughs) Jesus is saying a wedding is a time for celebration. It's a time for feasting. Jesus is saying, so when the, the, the party is happening, what we would call a reception, when the reception is happening, that's not a time for doom and gloom. That's a time to be excited. That's a time to celebrate. But Jesus says the days will come when the bridegroom, when the groom is taken away from him, them, and then Jesus says, and then they will fast. Then there will be days, a day or days that they abstain from eating. So we see there something interesting. We see that in this particular case, fasting is not a medical thing. Fasting is not a weight loss thing. Fasting happens to do with mourning. Now, follow me on this. And I alliterated this for everybody. Fasting is father-focused. We see this all throughout the passage. It's not, I'm, um, I'm fasting because I want to lose some weight. I'm fasting because I'm going through this cleansing thing. Or I'm fasting because of this, that, and the other. Or I'm fasting because i got to go to the doctor. Or whatever it might be. It's father-focused. It's God-focused. For a particular reason. I want to show you some examples of fasting. You can leave Matthew and go into the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 10. So in the Old Testament, one of the prophets there. Sometimes this is called the reference as the Daniel fast. Daniel chapter 10. 
beginning in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. So that was his name when he was taken into Babylonian captivity. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. So three full weeks, Daniel is wrestling with this vision, this vision of what is to come, and it rattles him. And so the Bible says here for three full weeks, Daniel didn't fast in the sense that he abstained entirely from food, but the Bible says he ate no delicacies, no meat, and no wine. So some would say he he was on an all-vegetable diet for three weeks, which sounds like hell on earth. Sorry, that was supposed to stay in my head. So he's fasting for three weeks because he's struggling with a spiritual revelation. And the answer to that doesn't come immediately. It, it, it doesn't come in a day, it doesn't come in a week, it doesn't come in two weeks, but it struggle. It, it, it takes three weeks for this revelation to come. This was a description of a, a faithful man of God in the Bible fasting for three weeks because he was struggling with something. Now let's leave there and go into the New Testament, Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9, and verse 9. Acts 9 is the conversion, the salvation of the man we know as Paul. Up to this point, he's been known as Saul. And he encounters Jesus... Jesus appears to him, and Saul realizes he has been wrong about so many things. He is blinded by the glorious light of Jesus. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So in Daniel's case, a revelation came, and it was three weeks, and he didn't bathe, he didn't drink any delicacies, eat any delicacies, drink any wine, the vegetables only because he was wrestling with this revelation from God. Saul, for three days, doesn't eat anything or drink anything. My opinion is that because Saul has realized he has been dead wrong about Jesus. And he, his mind had to be going a million miles an hour because he realized he has been persecuting the followers of Jesus. And so the Bible says there he is in a three-day fast. Turn a few pages to the right, Acts chapter number 13. 
Years and years later, Paul is a pastor in the city of Antioch, and God begins to move. It begins to stir some some, uh, desires, some dreams in his heart to take the gospel to the world. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. I just want to pause there because this will help us. Fasting, again, in the scripture is not, a, it's not about a physical thing. It's not about a cleansing thing or it's not about losing weight. It is about spending time with focused time on the Lord. So you'll see these things often paired together. Prayer and fasting or worshiping and fasting. So it is father-focused. So verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that's when the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. He'll become known as Paul here in just a few verses. For the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Jump over to chapter 14 and verse number 23. Acts chapter 14 this is in, within Paul's first missionary journey. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in the Bible, we have one command to fast. And it was an Old Testament passage in the book of Leviticus. And it was to fast on a specific day called the Day of Atonement. And that holiday was pointing to the ultimate Day of Atonement, which was Jesus dying on the cross, atoning for sin. So that fast for us is over. So you won't find in the New Testament a direct command to fast, to abstain from food. But what you will find is you'll find examples of believers, some in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. Daniel fasting for three weeks. You'll see Esther fasting for a specific time. You'll see Moses, I believe, fasting. You'll see Paul multiple times fasting throughout the scripture. And we see with Daniel, it was wrestling with a revelation from God. Paul, at the first part of fasting, he was wrestling with his own salvation. But then we see in Acts 13 and 14, we see fasting in preparation for a decision. I'm going to make a decision, and before I do that, I need to fast. That's what Paul is saying. I need to set aside food for the day, for this meal, whatever it is, and to align my heart and mind to the things of the Lord. Well, let's look at the greatest example of fasting. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter number four. And here we see the Lord Jesus fasting. Verse one, Matthew four. So immediately after the baptism, immediately after the audible voice of God, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse one, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, if you said that of any other person, he or she has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, they're hungry, it would kind of be a a Captain Obvious moment, right? They haven't eaten for 40 days, they're hungry. No kidding. But for Jesus, he is the God-man. For the scripture to say he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry, it's this way of us being able to relate to the God-man that he perfect God becomes mankind, fully God, fully man, but he understands what it's like to be hungry. He understands what it's like to have physical need. So Jesus has been in, in, in essentially a handyman in his hometown. He's come to John the Baptist. He's been baptized The audible voice of God has spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then Jesus disappears for over a month into the wilderness. And he's fasting. He's in prayer. He's in the wilderness as God is preparing him for his public ministry. So the tempter comes, verse 3. And said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So think about that. You're hungry. Jesus has the supernatural power to create bread out of thin air, out of nothing. Certainly he could turn these rocks, these stones into loaves of bread. But look at what Jesus says here. And he's answering the temptation, but he's also giving us a great teaching. But he answered, it is written. So Jesus is going to quote a passage from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what was the purpose of Jesus fasting here. It was a time of preparation for greater use and greater ministry. What was Paul's fasting? It was preparing for a decision that he was going to make or or decisions for the church that he was going to make. Daniel was fasting for three weeks because he was wrestling with the spiritual truth. And here's the point of the passage. They were so fixated on hearing from God, they weren't going to take a break to have a meal. They weren't going to pause and be like, well, I've wrestled with this long enough. I'm kind of hungry. What they were saying was, man shall not live by bread alone, meaning I'm in such an intense time where I'm wrestling with God on this. I need to hear from God on this. I'm struggling through understanding this. I got to make this decision about a career or a job or a spouse or my business or church or whatever it might be. I'm wrestling with God and I don't have time to stop for coffee. Now for some of you, you'd be like, well, that's a caffeine headache. But that's what the point of the passage is. I'm not going to stop for breakfast. I'm not going to pause for lunch. I'm not going to sit down and eat dinner. Yes, I'm going to be hungry. Yes, I'm going to want to eat. But I'm saying to God, my stomach doesn't run the show here. I really need to hear from you, God. It's not demeaning food as bad. It's saying, that isn't important right now. 
slightly hesitant to tell this next story, but please, please forgive me if it comes across as an ego trip. I don't mean it as that. Years ago, I was really wrestling with some angst in my heart. I was really struggling with some bitterness against someone. I mean, to the point where your, your mind starts to race, like, man, I want to call them up. Man, I want to write them a letter. Man, I want to show up at their house. Someone needs to give this person a piece of my mind. What I realize, if I give too many pieces of my mind out, it's all going to be gone. I don't have much to deal with, right? So, you know, you just you want to just lay someone out. And it started to scare me, my own bitterness in my heart. And so I remember saying, I'm going to fast. And I, and I fasted for a week. Because I needed the Lord to intervene into my angsty, bitter, angry heart. It wasn't that I opened up the Bible and there was a particular prescription there that said, hey, when you're upset at someone and it gets to this level, it might be best to fast for seven days. And then to make it really nice, break that fast with a pepperoni pizza. (laughs) The Bible doesn't have that specific instruction. What it has is examples for us. Some of you right now are struggling with a decision in your life. And one of the spiritual disciplines that helps us walk in greater maturity with the Lord is fasting. Not because we're like, hey, I'm going to lose a pound. Or, hey, I'm going to feel better. No, no, no. Those, those things, those, those physical benefits and, and the food that I want, I'm setting that aside because I need to hear from the Lord. I don't live by bread alone, but I hang on, is the way we could almost translate that, every word that comes from the mouth of God. God, I need to hear from you. What you say matters most. And God, I'm going to fast for a day. I'm hoping to hear from you that day. But if it doesn't happen that day, maybe it'll go two days. And I'm really hungry, Lord, but I need to hear from you. And so the times that I'd be drinking coffee, the times that I'd be having breakfast, the times I'd be sitting down for lunch, I'm taking those times and I'm locking in with prayer. I'm locking in with worship. Because what it is saying is, yes, I have a physical need, but my greater need is the words from the Lord. I need to hear from you, God. And so what we see in Matthew chapter number six is really a sad perversion of a really special, really private, intimate spiritual discipline between you and me and our heavenly father. That God, I need to hear from you. God, I need you to show up. God, this person's sick. I love them. And God, I just, I need to set aside this. I need to set aside food, which my body needs. I'm gonna set it aside for this period of time because I'm gonna be in worship of you, God. I'm gonna be seeking you. God, I'm struggling with this revelation in scripture. I'm struggling with this truth. And maybe it's a Daniel fast. Maybe it's a 40-day fast. Maybe it's a day fast or a week fast. But you're saying, God, what you have to say, your 
intervention into this situation, your words speaking into this moment in my life are more important than eating. As I was wrestling with this, I started to think about how much of our lives are built around eating. Like just structurally. Like there's breakfast, and then there's second breakfast, right? I could go whole Lord of the Rings here for a moment, but I will not, right? But we just, our whole lives, yeah, let's get together for dinner. Ah, I can't do dinner. How about lunch? Ah, I can't do lunch. How about coffee? You know what? Let's have a donut. I mean, in some churches, God forbid, if a Sunday school class doesn't have donuts, right? You could could toss the Bible out of most Sunday school classes before you get rid of donuts, right? This is a very sacred thing. Food. Jesus says, when you fast, look at it, Matthew 6, 17. When you fast, meaning it's, there's not a specific, hey, you need to be fasting Mondays and Thursdays. Or you know what, don't do it with the hypocrites, do it um, you know, Tuesdays and Fridays. That's, the, that's our fasting days. Like, no. It's saying there's not a specific prescription on exactly when and how long you're supposed to fast. But this ought to be a spiritual discipline that's part of our life. And the examples we see are Paul, this moment of conversion, he's he's wrestling with some things. Daniel, wrestling with truth for three weeks. Then God dispatches an angel that shows up. It's an awesome story. Paul's decisions And then we see the Lord Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus will give one of his I am statements, and he will say, I'm the bread of life. Jesus is not saying he was edible. That's not the point that Jesus is making in the passage. Jesus is saying he is the one and only who satisfies. You know what fasting is about? Fasting is about, God, I need you. I can get this person's advice and I can get this person's advice and I can get my counselor's advice and I can get my life coach's advice and I can get the pastor's advice and those all have their place in my life. But God, I need you. I need to hear from you. And I will discipline myself. In Leviticus, in the ESV, the fast that's given there in the Day of Atonement is literally, it's translated, afflict yourself. God, I will go hungry because what you have is more important than food. This ought to be a spiritual discipline for believers here. You know what's interesting about it? One writer said, you know, we don't know a lot about how the early church fasted. And he said, that's probably a good thing because they were pretty secretive about it. They weren't like having a fasting seminar because it was a personal thing between every man and woman who loved Jesus. It was between them and their heavenly father. So it's always interesting to preach these sermons because um, I have no idea what it looks like for you. 
Like, it's not like, hey, we got a card, uh, sign up for fasting day, everybody. We don't have that. And so what I love about this type of passage is, this is between you and the Lord. And I pray that God will call some of you to just deeper maturity with him. But maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's what Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who satisfies. Maybe you're here and you've never come to Christ. You walked in the door, you clicked online, and there is a burden of sin on your shoulders. There is a hole of emptiness that you're trying to fill in your heart. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one here is sinless. I was praying about it this morning and just reflecting on Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates and shows his love for you and me. Not when we were at our best, not when we were cleaned up, not when we were living right. God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus dies for our sins and Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus offers to us the hope of eternal life. The forgiveness of our sins, the hope of eternal life, he offers to us true satisfaction. That's the good news. And how we respond to the good news is Romans 10.9. We confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart God raised him from the dead and the Bible says he'll be saved. For some of you, that is being, for us, that's being saved from the eternal consequences of our sin. But it's also being saved from the endless pursuit of things that never seem to satisfy. We chase relationships and we chase money and we chase career and we chase hobbies and we chase houses. We chase all of these different things that we, we long to fulfill us and we, we get what we long for and it evaporates often in our hand or it's never as satisfying as we intended or dreamed it would be. And that's because Jesus and Jesus alone is the bread of life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today, your word. God, I do pray that we would honor you in this spiritual discipline. That, Lord, in moments of struggle, in moments of confusion, in moments, Lord, where we are wrestling with the decision or direction God, I often find myself going to all these other places. Lord, I'm sorry for that. I pray, Lord, as a pastor and a leader, I would set a godly example for this, Lord, in my own life. Thank you for your grace, Lord, to us. In Jesus' name.